0: Cats
1: Podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I am your host, Stacy LeBaron. I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we are speaking with Blake and Adrian Curry. Blake and Adrian have started a new 501c3 nonprofit animal welfare and rescue organization. The Furry Foundation is dedicated to caring for abandoned, neglected, abused, injured, and feral animals that find themselves living in public spaces with little to no assistance. Through foster care, The Foundation strives for locating the ideal home for animals that are receptive to human contact and affection. For feral animals that are not receptive to human contact and affection, the Foundation aims to assist with TNR, on-location care, and shelter wherever possible. Their first location is the Recoleta Cemetery in Buenos Aires, Argentina. As the most visited attraction in Argentina's capital city, Recoleta Cemetery has been home to a colony of approximately 30 cats for nearly 20 years. The documentary short, Guardians of Recoleta, tells this powerful story by educating and impacting audiences while providing a call to action for past, current, and future visitors and residents. Here at home in the United States, the foundation practices and advocates education, TNR, rescue fostering throughout the communities of South Los Angeles. Blake and Adrian, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Yeah,
2: thank you so much.
1: It sounds like you have a plate full of activities going on right now, but how did you get started? We first visited
0: Buenos Aires, Argentina, I believe it was seven or eight years ago, and we noticed all these beautiful cats at the Recoleta Cemetery, and they were healthy and happy and friendly. And we were wondering how is it possible that these cats are, are there and they seem normal. They're, they're not skinny. They're not ailing. They're, they're pleasant. They come up to you. So we left and then we decided to go back six or seven years later to figure out the story and, and who's taking care of these cats and why. That's what really sparked our idea for furry foundation because we saw the way things were being done in Argentina, which is quite different from what we do in the US. They weren't throwing these animals in a shelter. They were tending to them in the environment that they're in and accepting it and allowing it. And the cats are really an attraction at the cemetery and people love to go there and see them and they provide comfort during sensitive times. It's not a practice we're used to in the US, but we know it's one that can work And we know that in Los Angeles, it can especially work because there is so much space and there's so many people that
2: are willing to
0: help animals. So we took that idea and we brought it back to the U.S.,
1: Blake, when you were down there, were you equally as impacted?
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was something that for us, we were just like any other tourist initially when we first visited. And we were so taken by these cats that we didn't act upon it our first visit. As Adrian said, it was something that was in the back of our minds, though, for many years. And it didn't leave us. And we had this uh, tremendous amount of guilt sort of build up <laughs> over the years that we, we just never have encountered anything like this before. Uh, And when we had uh, a friend of ours who mentioned that he was going to go back to Buenos Aires and and see some of his family, we asked him, hey, you know, while you're there, would you mind checking on these cats that are in the Recoleta Cemetery? Because when we were there, they were just so incredibly friendly and they're part of the experience. He's like, yeah, sure. So he reported back, hey, they're still here. And not only are they still here, but they're also all over social media now. If you were to go and and look in Recoleta Cemetery – as a location, like say uh on Instagram or, or Twitter, you would be able to pull up, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pictures, if not thousands of cats over the years of people interacting with them, posing with them. And it's not something that's officially a part of the attraction. It's not listed really in anything, but we had part of our our experience that we tracked down, you know, all the reasons why and who's in charge of this and uh, who helps maintain it. We realize that it's it is sort of unofficially condoned, which is a great asset for us to sort of as a great learning experience. It was a great cultural exchange because on the one hand, you see how things are done in another country. They're doing better. I mean, can you imagine if you were walking around, like, let's say a landmark in the US, like the Washington Monument, and there were cats, there were feral cats everywhere, but you could tell they were healthy for the most part. They were taken care of and they're sort of part of the experience. They're there. As Adrian said, though, it's it's one of the things, though, as, as a culture, we we do tend to round them all up and put them in a shelter and not let them coexist. So we knew that that was a great opportunity to share with the audience to see that this is something that can't work and that we want to find out how it works and try and make that happen and uh, become a reality in, in other places, too.
1: You say here that about 30 cats are at the cemetery, and it's been that way for about 20 years Are all the cats spayed and neutered? And how do they sort of, I I hate to ask the question, but keep their stock at the same level at at all times? Yes. So
0: all the cats are spayed and neutered. There's a nurse and a vet that will come around weekly and check on the cats because some of them have had cancer. There's a very beautiful white cat that has had cancer removed from her ears and her nose. So the vet comes around and puts sunscreen on the cat. Make sure that it's not in any pain. The cancer isn't coming back. So all the cats are tended to health wise. The first thing they do is spay and neuter. And unfortunately, because there are citizens aware of these cats that exist there. They also use it as a dumping ground. They use the cemetery as a dumping ground for whenever they don't want their cat. They'll just drop it off at the cemetery. So there are new cats coming in regularly. And as soon as that's noticed, the cat is spayed and neutered if it hasn't been already so that it's not adding to the problem. And then there are some that are pretty adoptable and they work to get those cats adopted out. But then there's some that are just better off living their, their life there at the cemetery.
1: You talk about sort of the attitudes around free roaming cats in Argentina. The cemetery sounds like it's a prime example of a really well-run project, but yet you are still saying that there's the opportunity for dumping is TNR prevalent all across Argentina or is it very variable? It's been variable, but they
0: have picked up their community services. They they now have a mobile service. It's a mobile clinic providing mobile spay and neuter to citizens in the Buenos Aires area. Um, So we've seen a pickup, which is great, but unfortunately you're always going to have people that don't know the proper way to release their animal when they decide they no longer want it. And there aren't as many of those services, there aren't as many rescue groups like there are in the States to take those animals in. So people don't have a place to go. And unfortunately, they just dump them where they know that they'll be tended to.
1: Blake, if you can tell me a bit about how you came up with the idea to do a documentary about the Cats of Ricoletta.
2: Well, this this was something that I just felt more people need to be aware of and they need to see. And it really came to me as a as a sort of a movement because it's more than just a documentary. And it was something that we had to do. I I had to have Adrian's help too. It wasn't just going to be only me. And it was something that we knew we had to do and we had been talking about for a while. And we just got married within a few months prior to us actually embarking on this mission. And, you know, so many people were asking and, and wondering, you know, what's changed now since you're married? And, We both looked at our lives and we realized we were in well-paying, successful um, Fortune 500 jobs that we were just grinding us down, really. And at the end of the year, we just took stock in everything and realized that we don't have a whole lot to show for it. It's pretty unfulfilling. So we knew what we had to do, and that means we would have to leave our jobs and go embark on this And so we did just that. Our first initial trip was May of 2014. We wanted to go down sort of to get a lay of the land. And that was our our first part of this trip. We wanted to go and see these cats. Who's in charge of that? We didn't know really anything other than just these cats are there. So we did a little of investigative work and we found that there was a caretaker. But this caretaker was very antisocial. She didn't want to talk to anybody. We talked to the director at the time of the cemetery Uh, and asked, you know, who is uh, responsible for for taking care of these cats. And she said to us, why don't you just give your number to me, and I'll pass it along to the lady. (laughs) So this was now already a mystery, like, oh, the lady, she's not even (laughs) going to reveal her name. (laughs) So we thought, this is getting more and more like an actual film. This is great. It's building suspense. So we were in town for what maybe, you know, Americans don't get much vacation time. So we were there for less than a week, but we had already left our jobs. Uh, so it didn't really matter. So we were going to extend our trip if it needed to be. But we, sure enough, heard from her the next day. We, we got a call. You could tell it was uh, an older woman uh, on the phone, and her voice cracked. And she was very curious, but also sort of very aloof about who we were and what we were doing. And But she was excited that we had come all the way from the U.S., And so I think that she was very understanding and accommodating that we had made this effort. So she invited us over to her uh, apartment in Recoleta, which we didn't really know this, but Recoleta is like the Beverly Hills of, of Buenos Aires. So she was rather close to the cemetery. In fact, I'd say, you know, a few minutes walk away. Going into her apartment was literally like a a time capsule. We ended up learning that she had been a widow for more than 20 years and that her husband was uh, originally buried there and uh, interned there in um, Recoleta Cemetery. And so she would visit every day, but she also started seeing the cats that would come around. And then she took it upon herself to move her husband because she just couldn't tolerate seeing that anymore. But
0: The The cats made her sad.
2: They did. And so she just realized, you know what, I've got to do something about it. So she started on her own. She is comes from a a very wealthy background. So it was something that she doesn't have any kids. She she lost her husband. She really doesn't have much in the way of a family does have a lot of friends. But the interesting thing is, she's sort of a socialite, which we didn't really know until we started talking to her more and more. We realized that she didn't want anyone to know about it. So she wanted to remain anonymous. That's why the cemetery director told us, well, she described her as the lady. So when we were doing these initial interviews that we did the audio recording of, um, she said, yeah, just don't mention my name. You know, don't mention my face. Okay, we, we won't do that. So we we knew that we had to come back. And we knew that this was something that was going to be worthwhile enough for us to launch a crowdfunding, a Kickstarter campaign to help pay for all this. Because obviously we had just walked away from our jobs, so we really don't have the, the resources to do it. So that was going to be the, our next step after we got back.
1: And now let's take a moment to listen to a few words from our sponsors. Noah Gertz is a fast-paced card game. Your goal get tattoos, and give bad advice. Your friend needs I love tacos on his arm, right? With gorgeous graphics and reviews like fun, engaging, and enough, take that to be competitive but not a jerk. And some of the best art I've ever seen in gaming. It's perfect for game night. Want to play? Back us on Kickstarter. Get the game, art, or be a bad advice backer and give the creator something to regret. Pony up and he'll get a tattoo of whatever you choose. Go to poisonfishgames.com slash kickstarter to back no Regurts, the game of art and poor life choices. Or email dave at poisonfishgames.com for details. Meow. Community Cats podcast founder Stacey LeBaron doesn't just talk the talk, she walks the walk. Stacy is
0: available to provide customized consulting for your group to help you increase your effectiveness and develop an action plan for improving the lives of cats in your community. Working with you, Stacy will develop a consulting plan that meets your needs, including visioning workshops for your staff, board, or volunteers. For more information, you can contact Stacy directly. Email Stacy at communitycatspodcast.com or visit our website and click on the education menu. Let's join forces to make the world a better place for Community Cats. <music>
1: Yeah. So can you just expand a little bit on Kickstarter and what your experience has been using that platform?
2: Sure. So it was a a vehicle that we learned a lot about. We had heard a lot about a friend of ours who had, he ran a very successful campaign. I met with him and we basically went over a sort of a, a campaign. And that's something that I didn't recognize that at the time that you really need to do. Just too oftentimes, so many Kickstarter campaigns fail because there's just not enough preparation and homework done on the initial side of things. So we really did sort of strategize and, and plan a lot of re- research and, and preparation and context. So much of what crowdfunding is all about is research. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, I think that we launched this in September of 2014 mm-hmm. and we started planning on it in maybe June Several months. I mean, in, in, intense planning. And then the other thing is, you know, so once we actually did launch in in September, it is a full time job. There is just no question about it. It requires your constant attention. Like you, you can't just log on and log off. I mean, you have to be engaged. You have to reach out to all your contacts. You have to network. Like there's no tomorrow. You have you know you're, you're running against the clock. You have to meet this goal. Or you know, for us, we chose a thirty day calendar. And then we knew if we didn't get it, we wouldn't want any of the money and uh, wouldn't be able to have, do this project at all. So we realized that, you know, th- this was something that it finally ended up being successful, which we are really happy about. We ended up picking up a great uh, executive producer who has done a lot of reality programming and been very successful in that. And he uh, helped uh, fund us along with a lot of other connected uh, members of the community, especially the ones that The story really surrounds a woman from Chicago. She did the same thing we did. She visited many years ago, and she was so taken by the cats that she actually rescued six of them and brought them back to Chicago from the cemetery with the lady's permission, right? So she knew her as well. And then these six cats ended up being fostered and adopted out, and all of them survived the trip, but then when we finally ended up shooting and we went back after the, the crowdfunding campaign in November of 2014, we, we realized that we made a trip down to, to Buenos Aires, and then we went to Chicago and we noticed that there are still two cats that uh, are still alive from the initial rescue that are thriving. There was a surprise too, with one of the cats that we'll just have to, to leave up um, in the film. <laughs> It was, it was a great, it was a great experience, but it was uh, something that it's not to be taken lightly for sure. If you're going to do a crowdfunding campaign, then you definitely need to make yourself available for the duration of it.
1: So Adrian, can you tell me a little bit about Furry Foundation and what your hopes are for it going forward? Yes.
0: So Furry Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we've realized that in our own neighborhood, there are a lot of cases going on with, with either, um, just feral cats in different areas or feral cats having kittens. And we live in a, an older neighborhood in Los Angeles. So there's the old crawl spaces under these historic homes. Sometimes they're left open, which makes a really great motel for cats to go and breed. <laughs> and bring up these kittens and then let the kittens out to breed. So, um, and there are resources in our community, but those resources that have been here are taxed. They um, are at capacity. So we've come in at a really good time to be able to assist our neighbors and the community that we're in and focus on the trap and neuter and release, as well as bringing in kittens to make them cuddly and friendly and adopt them out. We do have a room in our house. That is the cat room. <laughs> it's a, And it's also our office. So that's where we do our work. And we foster the cats and kittens. Until they've had all their shots. And they're well enough to integrate with the other animals in our house. And then our big goal is to eventually have an open-air facility where people can come in and play with the cats, play with the dogs. We love to do dogs as well because there's a need for dogs in our community as a lot of them are dumped. So we'd love to have an open air facility, which we can do education, do free courses for dogs, work through behavior issues with people's pets before they either dump them or give them to a shelter. We really, we feel that it all starts with education. And we've noticed that in the projects that we've assisted on locally, that a lot of people just don't know what to do. And they think that, oh, there's this cuddly kitten, I'm going to keep it but they don't know that that kitten has been out on the streets for X number of days or weeks and it needs proper medical attention and care. If it hasn't been weaned, then you have to bottle feed it or hand feed it. And and so education is really important and also letting people know that if the bottom of your house is completely open, then that situation is going to keep occurring. So if we could be better on the educational side, then I feel that we can prevent a lot of these issues from happening. And then when the issues do happen, we're able to intervene and assist and trap, neuter, and release the cat back into its area if it's not friendly enough to be adopted or if um, we just can't work with it, it's too feral. Or we take the cat in, we socialize it, and we adopt it out. And same with the kittens. Kittens are hard for some to bring in because they do require a lot of work. They're baby cats. You have to hand feed them. You're having to clean up messes for some time for about six weeks. But then once they get past that six weeks, you've socialized them. So you're completely confident that whatever home they go into, they're going to be fine because they've been around people. They've been around other cats of various ages. So we know that they're going to integrate well wherever they go.
1: Blake, if someone's interested in seeing the documentary or finding out more about the Furry Foundation, how would people find those links?
2: Well, currently, uh, the Guardians of Recolette is, is in film festivals. It's in the submission process. Uh, we still don't know whether or not where our world premiere is going to be just yet, because so many of these uh, occur in the springtime, usually. Furryfoundation.org is our website. And there's a link there, too, to our Facebook page, which is easily found just by searching furry foundation. You know, the website is great. It's sort of a landing page at the moment, though. But we're really finding out that Facebook has been more of a um, outreach tool and awareness tool that's it's helped us out quite a bit.
1: And Adrian, is there anything else
0: you'd like to share with our listeners today? I did see a question on your email about if someone comes in contact with a feral cat, what to do. And there's a process that Blake and I use whenever we're in a rescue situation and we're trying to figure out if the cat is very feral or if it's more on the friendly side. And I hold out my hand with my knuckles facing forward, but my hand is very limp, almost like um, a prince is going to grab your hand and kiss it. (laughs) So I hold that out, and that just shows the cat that you're disarmed, that you're not going to harm them. If you close your hand and make a fist or you turn your hand out, they may think you're going to strike them or grab them. So I, I hold my hand out with my knuckles facing the cat very limp, and if they gradually come your way and sniff your hand and rub against it, then you probably have a friendlier cat. But if they crouch back or show any uh, behavior that hints that they're scared or frightened, then they're most likely feral. And that's a, a case in which you would need to trap the cat. But even now, we, we have um, one of our resident rescues that was taken back to the shelter twice. We've had him for two years now, and he, he still doesn't feel fully safe. We don't know what he went through. So there are times when he's looking at you and he's unsure if he wants to approach you. But when I hold my hand with the knuckles facing him and it's limp, he always comes up because he knows that he's safe and we're not going to hurt him. But that's just a good process to use. And I would recommend if a cat is very feral, never approach it. It's just going to make the situation worse. Most likely it won't attack you. But if you're trying to capture the cat, it's going to be more scared of you and the surroundings that it's in.
2: And adding to that, if you get past the hand test and, you, you know, it allows you to get closer to it. We learned from one of the organizations in Buenos Aires that does a lot of TNR that actually helped us out quite a bit. gato, Which is make a cat happy. Very successful uh, cat rescue organization there in, in Buenos Aires. And one of the key volunteers there, um, Eugenia, who's also a director of a Foundation, said basically that if you can hold a cat for 10 seconds, at least 10 seconds, it's almost immediately a sign that it's adoptable and that it's not going to require an extensive amount of, of socialization and fostering. And it's, it's, nearly ready to go as long as its health checks out and and everything else. So that's something too also to keep in mind.
1: Great tips for folks working with community cats. Blake and Adrian. I want to thank you so much for being guests on the show. And hopefully when the uh, documentary is out, we have news about that and more news about the Furry Foundation. Hopefully you'll be willing to come back up on the show. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks, Stacey.